so yeah, Kristen Lighty is one of my dearest friends, and uh, she she runs a brilliant podcast called the Bloody Mary Horror Podcast. Any horror movie fans? Yeah. Silly question, right? Uh, so she's going to talk to a, a bunch of us about different films, and so make a lot of noise for my good friend Kristen Lighty and the Bloody Mary Horror Podcast. Okay, hello. Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever listened to it before, but I have people on to talk about their favorite horror movies, the themes in them, and, you know, why they like them, why we like horror. And, you know, normally I do this in my own home with the power of editing, so there's no awkward pauses or anything like that, so that, that might happen. That's the magic of live podcasting, I guess, right? Hell yeah. Okay, who likes horror movies? Yeah! Okay. <laughs> All right, it is Saturday afternoon. We're kind of hungover, but we're doing it. And I'm excited to bring my first guest up. Uh, we are both fans of horror, good friends. Please welcome to the stage, English Matt! All right, guys. How are we doing? Hey, Kristen, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Okay. This so is super exciting. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, hi, everyone. My name is uh, English Matt. I'm based out of Houston, Texas, and uh, I'm a comedian and writer. And I also, along with uh, JT Habersat, uh, host a show called uh, Monster Movie Mockery, where we do uh, live riffing on uh, horror films. Love it. What's your favorite movie that you've riffed on? Oh, I think that the favorite one we've ever done is The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. That's that's probably the best one. That's one of its many titles. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I know I've been wanting to see it. It seems so fun. We have to bring you up really... to Wisconsin for it. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't think the good people of Wisconsin, I don't know what they've done to deserve The Howling 2, <laughs> Your Sister is a Werewolf, but I'll take it from you that they deserve it. So. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so, uh, you know, normally I ask people how they feel about horror as a genre, but I think I already know. Yeah, I kind, kind of enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. We've got a kinship like that. Yeah. Definitely. So, for us to talk about tonight, you chose Night of the Demons. Yes. 1988 classic. N 1988's Night of the Demons. And I'm actually, uh, people... People are going to be listening to this podcast, so they won't see this visually, but I'm actually wearing a uh, Night of the Demons 3 t-shirt, which, which shows that I have some real problems, because that's not even the good <laughs> Night of the Demons that people like. That's the, th that's the, the third one that is, yeah, even less reputable. <laughs> but so, we're going to be talking about the good one today, Night of the Demons from 1988, which is yeah, super so exciting. Why did you choose this movie? Okay, so uh, a few things about it. Um... I really like Night of the Demons. Uh, I think it's just it's one of those films that really sort of encapsulates a certain style of like 80s horror that you'd pick up from the video store because it had a weird cover and you like it and it's got a it's got a lot of things it's it's uh, it's quite funny as well as you know being it's got all the classic like horror stuff you'd think of the the real sort of tacky 80s horror the casual nudity the you know weird gross uh, visual effects uh, synth heavy soundtrack, uh, all, all that, you know, big, uh, gusts of blue smoke and things like that. Uh, but I also like, there's, there's some other couple of things I like about it. It's, it's 
got that rep as you know sort of your your prototypical eighties horror movie. But there's some unusual aspects about it that I like, and also I think I like it because it's kind of a combination of two slightly different styles of horror. Because it's it's in it's kind of a combo of uh, like a, a supernatural slasher film, like a Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of combined with your demonic possession, Evil Dead type thing. So I like that it's it's got two things going for it as well. Yeah, definitely. Most movies only have one thing going for them. (laughs) This movie, it did kind of feel like the breakfast club of horror. Yeah, it is. We've got, you know, you've got the, you know, quote unquote teens, because I think pretty much everyone in it is, (laughs) let's be, let's be charitable (laughs) and say 25 plus playing high schoolers. Um, But yeah, no, it's super fun. You got the, you know, the kind of, you know, the the wacky high school kid cast, um, you know, the sort of slightly archetypal characters, the, you know, big dumb slob guy, the, the bad girl, the, the, you know, the nice girl, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I think, I guess one of the other, there's a couple of, I guess, a couple of things that I would, would say that I really like about, about Night of the Demons that I think kind of set it apart from the rest of the pack, because when you see these films, there's always the stereotypical thing. Number one, you're in the, they're, the they go to this, uh, you know, the, the, the abandoned mortuary to have Which a Halloween is party. Which Whole House. Whole House, historically yeah. was the home of Jane Addams, yeah. the Chicago organizer, which I found hilarious. Yeah, I would almost guarantee they didn't know that when they were writing it. <laughs> I don't remember. I, you know, no offense to the people who wrote Night of the Demons, I don't know if that was an intentional reference, but would be cool if it was. Yeah, so they're at, you know, having their Halloween party at the, uh, the evil Hull House, um, and I like one thing, as soon as it starts getting scary, you know, whenever you're watching a horror movie, you're like, oh, who would stay? Why wouldn't they just leave? And I like that two of the characters, as soon as something slightly scary happens, say, we're out of here. Bye. <laughs> we're leaving. They do literally, they try and leave. So I, I do love that, that they just immediately recognize that as a cliche. Hey, why don't people ever try and get out early? Like they did. So uh, yeah, cool. I felt solidarity with yeah. them. I was like, they're smart. They're on they're, it. They're actually smart. And I guess the other thing that I sh- we should probably point out about uh, Night of the Demons that's uh, unique is I think this is one of the very few horror movies of the era where the black guy not only does not die first, he does not die at all. He's one of the survivors. Yeah, Roger. That's yeah, yeah. Roger from the the thing. So that's uh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, spin on it. Right? And he saves a terrible white woman. Yeah. Which, um... <laughs> I think you're being very unfair to Judy. There. Judy sucks. Ju- uh... <laughs> Judy. Judy is nice. She tried to help that old man at the beginning. She uh, yeah. Judy's cool. Judy she voted no- for Trump, and I she know it. No- she. <laughs> She knows how to stand up for herself. She did not let Jay push her into uh, something she didn't want to do. This you is, are right. Uh, You're right. Okay. <laughs> Maybe she's a moderate yeah. at best. Okay. Uh, one thing I loved about this film is like whenever they tried to show like they're deviants, they're punk rock kids, they would flash to like a TSOL or yeah. Fear sticker yeah, or the Anarchy sticker. And like, also it's from 1988, yeah. so that would be a band that's at least 11, like 11 <laughs> to 12 years old at that point. These these kids are real cutting edge. But yeah, the music is cool because I think the other good thing that I like, and maybe this crowd will appreciate, is that uh, Night of the Demons essentially stops for a good three minutes so that a lady can dance to a Bauhaus song. 
just a full, a full on. That's one of the coolest things. They just full, they're just like, what if we just stop the film for a while and have our own little goth music video go on? And so uh, you know, Honestly. Angela, aka you know, Amelia, actress Amelia Kincaid, does a full on dance scene to Barhouse's Stigmata Mata, which is it was amazing. Pretty when I was cool, rewatching, it, I was cool. like. I remember this movie. Yeah, it's this like that's... woman informed my sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> Not the only one, Kristen. <laughs> I did love when they were like at the house and they were like having their party and the yeah. demonic possession started. Uh, Angela was like, "The noise, the stink, the chill. It's demons." It's like, is it demons or even a punk house? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like, yeah, I think Worm Suicide's playing here next week. <laughs> Um, so Angela was by far my favorite. Also She's, Susan, yeah. the duo. The duo the, the was duo. amazing. Yeah, that's the kind of interesting thing because, I, I, again, this is something that's slightly unusual about uh, Night of the Demons is uh, female villains. You don't often yes. have that in a slasher. The, uh, the the two Now, you have a variety of sort of demonic things because we can't forget about Stooge, mm-hmm. beloved Stooge. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the two sort of scariest demons are uh, Angela and Susan. I also really love in the beginning, Susan uh, uses her sexuality kind of as a um, a weapon to do crimes. They, yeah, like, she she uh, yeah they have a this is this is one of the things where it's like like Kristen was I think watching this and probably feeling like texting like Matt, what did you ask me to watch? Because there's a good five minutes just to focus in on Susan's butt and at the I beginning was watching of the film this on a plane and it totally froze <laughs> on Susan's ass when she is just like given one of these I'm sorry listeners and, of the podcast um, you can't see what Kristen just yeah, did but it was absolutely good. children watching me and it's like oh shit they all think I'm watching porn on a plane <laughs> But yeah, they use that to shoplift, like yeah. hundreds of dollars worth of stuff is fantastic. And then later on, they kind of, you know, there's, I think that's sort of echoed later on because Angela and Susan use the fact that they're, you know, attractive ladies to lure in uh, the dumb guys. <laughs> so yes. Jay and Jay and Stooge and Sal all get turned into sort of zombie demons because they couldn't resist a goth girl on Halloween. Okay, <laughs> Which really? is, yeah. I mean, come on. You got to harvest some souls and make it work. But we should, we should talk a little bit about who plays Angela, right? Because oh, she's amazing. She is incredible. Um, she's so made the, a life out of this. Yeah. Role. So this is, yeah. The, the lady who plays, uh, Angela, who's sort of the main sort of villain of this, uh, she's played by, a a, a lady called, uh, Amelia Kincaid, who is from here in Texas, which is cool. Uh, she is Rue McClanahan from the Golden Girls niece. So, if you ever watch Night the Demons, please know that Rue McClanahan visited the set while they were filming it. So, I don't know if that improves your view of the movie, but for me, it does. Uh, yeah, but uh, Amelia Kigage, she's a, she's a trained dancer. Like she's a, That was her first sort of, I guess, jobs in Hollywood. She was in like Stray Cats and Scorpions videos, and they hired her because they needed somebody to do a dance to Bauhaus during this. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, Every she, movie needs yeah. it. She acted after this because she's in two of the seats. She's in Night of the Demons 2 and Night of the Demons 3 and a few other scattered things. But uh, did look her up to see what she's doing now. And she is an animal psychic. Which is just Amazing the best. Amazing transition. Yeah, which is yeah. the best thing to go into. She is, you go on her website and like she can, if you have an elephant and you would like to know how the elephant is feeling, she can help you with that. 
So that's, uh, Fantastic. That's I saw her good. like talking on an interview about the scene where she's warming her hands by the fire. Oh, and that her is hands cool. Are yeah. on fire. Are on fire, yeah. And she yeah. laughed and said, yeah, they told me I had six seconds and my hands would start burning. <laughs> the 80s. <laughs> uh, I also, I really love the scene with Susan where like Susan is demonic. She's painting her naked body with lipstick. Yeah. And then Jay comes in and Susan's like, hey. Yeah, and Jay's just like no question, like yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, no, set. he doesn't even. He's just immediate. He's not even like, should we? He's just like, well, pants are coming off. Yeah, like, <laughs> she seems like she's having a well. she's having a psychotic break yeah. in the corner of this haunted house, and he's just like, oh, someone's hot to trot. It's time. Jay sucks. Yeah, <laughs> he's well, a bad boy. He's the know, bad character. I frequently, as a woman, think about. Thank God I survived the eighties. Like what a fucking terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> That's just for me. Uh, <laughs> so what, what themes jumped out at you in this movie? Like, what did it mean to you? Well, there's, okay, so I mean, it is, it's, you know, obviously above all things, it's just a very fun movie. It's, I think it's got a fun atmosphere, mm -hmm. fun vibes. Uh, has one of the best lines in, uh, I think, cinema history when Stooge says, eat a bowl of fuck, I'm here to party. I was like, that's that's a great philosophy just summed up right there. Thank, thank you, Stooge. Uh, no, I, I think there's some interesting things going on in the film. Like I said, there's the kind of, we talked about the you know sort of uh, weaponization of female sexuality in a slasher context, mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting. Um, I also I was kind of watching some of the behind the scenes stuff from from the film, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Is that a few of the actors mentioned that they they didn't think about it at the time, but it was late eighties, early night, you know, when they were doing this, and afterwards they kind of picked up. They're like, it's almost like a weird AIDS metaphor, you know, oh. the 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 kissing and when you have sex, you know, having sex with them and then becoming one of the the demons i mean obviously not the most busy way to look at it but mm -hmm. i think it's an interesting thing about fearing you know what that kind of uh, thing can do to you at the time period um there's a weird line that they throw in there and then kind of don't go back to but they link whole house back to like native american legends and things like that which i think is kind of just a common thing that people did in the 80s because it makes it spookier yeah um, they're like mystical we don't yeah mystical it. which is not yeah which is not great but it's yeah. it's interesting to see that they just kind of felt that need to back up on it but i think here's what's what's super interesting theme wise like we said this is a movie where the survivors are the good girl and a black guy mm -hmm. and i don't know if they intended this we were talking this earlier to me the movie codes him as not just a but as a gay guy mm -hmm. i think he's 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 kind of played as a, a a gay character, which is interesting. Yeah, he so, wasn't like sex obsessed. He was, like, yeah, not like all, every other guy at the party is like we're here to score with chicks, man. And he in a is terrifying way. And yeah. he is dressed in uh, silk pirate robes and saying, "I'm not into this." Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think that's kind of what is interesting is that neither character is uh, also this, you know, because it's it's the late eighties. Neither character is presented as like macho or all American or that real kind of stereotypical thing. They're clearly sort of slight outsiders to it. Uh, he's the one black guy among a group of white kids. Uh, mm -hmm. She's the the one girl who's not like you know the kind of party girl. Um, she's a little more demure and chaste, and they're the ones who. And I think that's interesting. But they survive. Also, there's moments where there's moments where each of them break down and seem like they can't go on, and the other one pushes them forward, and they sort of each take their turn on that. And then it's the the two of them together that survive. So I think that's kind of. Uh, 
I think that's nice. That's unusual in, yeah. a, in a film of that period. And then, you know, just kind of like bookended it was this story of this old angry man. Yes, this is, that's a funny yeah. thing. It's, I, I think so. Originally, this film was, I think up until about four months before it was released, this film was supposed to be called Halloween Party. Yes. And then apparently one of the uh, studio execs or producers of the Halloween films called them and was like, hey... I guess Fuck I can't. Off. Yeah, you are not calling this Halloween party, or I will destroy you. Um, so it became Night of the Demons. But yeah, it, like Halloween's a big part of this this movie. It's about you know like a liminal space. This is the dark night of the year, and I think part of it is they have these weird bookends with a with like an angry old man who is uh, planning to uh, kill a bunch of children with the old uh, razor blade inside an apple trick. Like, Which, so, how does that even work? You know. Well, Kristen, what you do is. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea is you sort of put, I guess the idea is you push the razor blades in and then the kid will like because we all know children cannot resist an apple <laughs> for, they're out on Halloween they're collecting the first thing they're going for in that bag is a delicious red apple that's what the kids are going for and I guess they'll, they'll bite into it and then there'll be a, a, a razor hidden in there but it's a, it's a classic urban legend mm-hmm. that they kind of adapted for the film and it's yeah as a bookend it does not connect to the rest of the film whatsoever. I think it's just like, eh, it's Halloween. Let's throw in a little extra. Yeah. If you can put a mean old man in your movie, why wouldn't you? That's what people want to see. Well, I do love it, though, because at the very end, his wife is, like, doting over him, makes him breakfast. He's just an asshole to her. And then it turns out, ah, she serves him the razor blade apples apples and she kills. Yeah. Patriarchy, take that. That's true. (laughs) I find a way to bring every movie to that. You're not wrong, though. That is part of the. You know, that is that is part of it. He, All right. So, what is your favorite part? Um, oh gosh, it's it's a it's a t- and I've, I've brought up both of them, but I, I think it might be a, a three way tie uh, between, uh, like I said, three minutes of dancing to uh, Bahas's Stigmata Mata. I think that's cool. Um, Second part would be Stooge saying, eat a bowl of fuck. What a good line. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other one that I think is cool is, um, because it's such an odd line, is with Linnea Quigley as uh, Susanna sticks her head out of the uh, room and goes, run, Judy, run. In this <laughs> one, it's just, I think it's just a really fun line reading. Because I think they talked about that is, you know, a lot of the movie is people demonically possessed and going like, but sometimes they just do it in like a really weird kind of almost 50s housewife voice mm-hmm. and they'll just be like we're gonna get you <laughs> run judy run like, so i just i like the line readings on those so they i think that fantastic. would be my three my three favorite moments from this cool. film well thank you for sharing night of thank the you Demons so much us. guys Give it up for English Matt. thank you everybody Next, I'm excited to welcome to the stage a good friend of mine, Caitlin Chekorowski. Keep clapping. Hi, <laughs> it's it. Caitlin. Hi. <laughs> Caitlin, why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, I'm a comic. I'm, I live in uh, Chicago. Uh, and I'm a giant baby because I don't really watch a lot of horror movies. <laughs> uh, I don't dislike them. I just feel like uh, anyone's imagination too scary for them for themselves. Anybody else? Yeah, that's what it is. I'm like I don't need to give it free material. You know, it'll just take it and run with it. So, um, yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I don't want you to feel shamed here. I have a lot of people on <laughs> that don't you. really like horror, and I find those conversations can be very funny. Thank you. I just had Deanna Ortiz on, who's a Chicago comedian. Her episode will be airing this week. Yeah. And she frequently like will pause yeah. the movie and will read the Wikipedia instead. So hey, it's safe <laughs> yeah. space. Don't worry. Don't Thank worry. You. <laughs> uh, for us to talk about today, Caitlin shows 1995's Casper. <laughs> <laughs> Which I felt like a real creep watching at 1 yes. a.m. last night. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> I'd never seen it before, but it does star iconic creepy girl Christina Ricci. Yes. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was fun. So why did you choose Casper? Okay, I feel like it was, uh, we like where I lived, it was like the middle of nowhere. And we didn't have cable, so we only had like a certain amount of VHS tapes. And like Casper was one of the VHS tapes, so we just would rewatch it over and over and over again. Oh. So I've just <laughs> seen it. I've just see, I've, I've seen it a bunch. And uh, I just feel like there's a, like, a bunch of like just weird stuff. And I feel like it's like my... It's not that I don't like watch like something scarier, but you asked like which one I know the best. So I was like, oh, I don't know I'm the best, okay. I think. Childhood staple. You know, I yes. gotta admit, like when I was a kid, I hated Casper, and I think it was because he was just Richie Rich but see through. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like part of me is like, oh, it's so sad you died as a child, but another part of me is like, you know, guillotine, you know? That's <laughs> You know, working class, you know, hell yeah, He's not a comrade. <laughs> yeah. So it, this movie is about Casper, who, you know, doesn't know how he died, how he got there. Uh, Christina Ricci moves in and then he's obsessed with her. And like Casper's got real issues with consent. Absolutely. Um, That's a big thing I found. Yeah. He's like thing. in her room watching her pretending to be a pillow, touching her. Yes. I was I was not a fan. No. Um, also. Uh, Christina Ricci's dad calls her Bucket as a nickname. Yeah, like, I, saw that. I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, Bucket? <laughs> it's also funny, too, because this is definitely around the time where um, the worst thing you could be was a lawyer. Like, I don't know if you're like, I feel like there was I definitely... I dated one, I know. <laughs> <laughs> right, you get it. But I feel like in the 90s, there was this thing like, everyone's suing everyone too much. And so like the bad guy is a lawyer. And it's just like, so funny because they always like at the end like one of the things is like I'm gonna sue you like someone's like go ahead I'm gonna take your treasure sue me and like that's like the worst thing you can do to someone and they're actively dead you know and you're like yeah it seems worse to me it is yeah you know they got real fun and flirty with death about three fourths of the way did. through this film they were like we'll just kill ourselves and then we can come back through <laughs> yes. the magic machine yes when you ask like you're like oh try to think of like your favorite thing okay so it's bad but i feel like my favorite thing is when the dad is drunk <laughs> like i don't think he's a good dad he's a no. terrible father mm -hmm. but he's a terrible father sober too but i was like he's more fun drunk yeah definitely and i mean uh what it's like What's his name? Bill Baxter? But hot dad is what hot I'm saying. Dad, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, love a hot dad. God damn, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. But it's funny because, okay, so the dad in it is a therapist for ghosts, okay? And then, but he's never seen a ghost, which makes me feel like he's a fucking charlatan. You yeah. know what I mean? He's a scam artist. Because he doesn't, completely. when he sees a ghost, like, he, like, freaks out. And I'm like, wait, but I thought you were doing therapy for ghosts. So you just been talking to nobody? And you've been dragging your daughter around the country. Like, as a kid, I was like, 
give, you know, the, your dad's doing the best he can. Give him some <laughs> slack, you know? And now as an adult, I'm like, this guy should, CPS needs to be calling this man, you know? I was, very different take on him now. Definitely. It seemed like he was doing all the ghost therapy as a ruse just to try to talk to his dead, dead wife. wife. I'm like, how'd the wife die? Like, we never talk about we that. We never talk about it. Mm, we suspicious. Never talk about it. Mm. Uh, Casper himself, though, uh, just a real simp. I, I do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I also do feel like, okay, so at the end, like that machine that can bring people back to life, mm-hmm. they only do it for the dad, okay, that accidentally killed himself. But <laughs> I don't think the dad should come back. Yeah, he made his choices. He made his choices. I'm like, didn't Casper's dad make it for him to bring him back and now you're going to use it? I think that's a little fucked up. Like, I'm like, and also, I was like, you couldn't, like, get, like, some of the red liquid and, like, synthesize that, like, science right now. They could probably figure out what's in it. I just mm-hmm. feel like at the end, they were like, guess you're going to have to be a ghost forever. Ha! Have fun with it. <laughs> well, you know what was crazy, too? In the end, the mom comes back to let Casper become real for one night only. So that for like, he two can, hours. Two hours. So he can go to a little dance with her daughter. But never once were they like, hey, your dead mom's here. Maybe you want to see yeah! her. Yeah! <laughs> I never even thought about it. That. That's pretty fucked up. Like, I think she would probably be like, you know what? I'd rather say goodbye to my mom. Yeah, actually. me too. I don't want to <laughs> kiss this weird boy who I don't know is is Casper. Like, is not Casper. I do love when Casper becomes human boy form, he's and so he's like walking hot. through the crowd, and all these twelve year old girls are just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to be hot. I feel oh, very weird watching this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> The villains in this movie had a real fun dumb-sub relationship. Agreed. Uh, that was a great time. I think these villains are actually better than... I think they've got a lot more uh, iconic phrases. Like, I remember at the end, one of the villains, like or like the henchman, confronts the woman, and that speech that he gives is burned in my brain. Yeah, that felt like real worker it power. It felt like he like was, he fighting was really like, I'm going to get a big house with purple curtains and green rugs and I was like ugly but you know kind of like Bernie um and uh and then he was like I'm gonna get a dog and name it after you and I was like whoa yeah I was like take back the power man (laughs) but then yeah but one of her like iconic lines is like the bitch is back and they use bitch twice in this movie how do you feel about that I mean, I think it's the only swear word they were allowed to say. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't have big feelings. And they get around it the second time because they're like, oh, it's a female dog that I call a bitch. And we're like, "Mm." sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Well, you know what? It it was more insulting to me, actually, is Kerrigan, the female villain. She decided to kill herself so she could find out what was in a fucking vault. I don't know. Yeah. But then she dies. The kids come have this huge party and never once were they like, we should call the police. There's <laughs> yeah. a dead body yeah. out front. Everyone was just like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I know you're having fun, but a woman did die. Uh. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. And also she goes through the vault to get the th- treasure, mm-hmm. but she can't get what's inside the treasure. Yeah. Plot holes. Plot holes. Left and right. Left and right. 1995. They were this bis- 1995 yeah. children's movie. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, yeah, so what themes jumped out at you in this movie? 
kind of noticed like the dom sum between Dibs yes. and Kerrigan. I definitely feel like there it is like again. I feel like it was a very specific time, like in the '90s, where again, like that lawyer thing really popped out to me. That idea that like the worst thing someone can do is like frivolously frivolous lawsuits is like the demon of the '90s because mm-hmm. things, you know, their economy was pretty good back then, so uh, didn't have a huge amount of problems. But um, I think that I think also the references went right over my head. Like, I was like, I didn't understand that the Ghostbusters guy, like, Dan Aykroyd was the, in it, and I'm like, who's this guy? Yeah, and he comes had, back out, and I'm like, ah. Oh. They had Father Guido Sarducci, too, Maybe which Clint is Eastwood? like, that's, yeah. I'm like, it's a deep yeah, reach. It's a deep reach. <laughs> and then it's funny, because, like, he comes out, and his head is completely turned backwards, and I was like, wait a second. So he gets, like, mutilated, and I guess that it's a joke, but, like, nobody else got, like, mutilated by the ghosts. <laughs> Very true. They just said cutting remarks to everybody yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they just were like, they really went after your insecurities. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is the problem I have with Casper yeah. and also the others and any other ghost story where, like, ghosts stay in a subservient relationship and do things for people. Like, and she's going to get older. Well, yeah, she's going to get older. But also, like, you're a ghost. You don't need money. You don't need a place to live. You can fucking leave and yeah. go do whatever you want. That's my question. I didn't understand because it shows that he goes to China, I think, to get the like something expressed because he asks her like, oh, do you want any? So he can go anywhere in the world. It's not like he can't leave the house. Yeah. Which makes it even sadder that he's there. Ghosts need bigger dreams. Also, I don't really understand who the three uncles are to him. Yeah, you don't remember who you are, but you remember these assholes. Yeah, you remember you have to serve them for some reason. Okay, so what's your favorite part of Casper? I think the dad getting drunk. Dad Yeah, drunk. I like that he like instantly forgets about his kid he forgets about his dead wife and he's like i just want to hang with the boys and i'm like <laughs> father of the year over awesome. here <laughs> fantastic well thank you for yeah. stepping up to be uh, on the that podcast so talk about casper thank you guys keep so it much going for caitlin <laughs> all right next i want you to welcome the stage you probably saw her earlier in the fest she was amazing please welcome sorry Beliak. All right, for us to talk about tonight, Sari has chosen Fire in the Sky from 1993. Hell yeah. I'm so scared even talking about this. Because like Caitlin, I am a giant baby. And when you asked me to do this, I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not the right person to be on this podcast. But it is because of this movie that I don't watch scary stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, I am a writer. I've written for The Onion, Hard Times, Reductress, probably some other things. I'm a comic (laughs) and uh, from Phoenix. Phoenix. Hell yeah. Clap it up for Phoenix. (laughs) That's actually where we first met. We met at Bird City City. 2017, I think, put on by Genevieve Rice. Awesome altercation alum as well. Hell yeah. Okay, so Fire in the Sky, 1993. (laughs) Sorry, scarred for life. Yes. Tell us why. Um, I can think of a few movies that that I consider like ruined my childhood. <laughs> um, one of them, I think, a lot of people share uh, the never-ending story, seeing mm-hmm. very traumatic yes. scene. Another one, a bit more uh, personal, probably. Well, I, I imagine it's relatable. Um, when I was about five, my bubby took me to see All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, at Christown Mall in Phoenix, um, and she fell asleep in the theater. 
and just she was just snoring while I was just like, my dog's gonna die one day. It's just <laughs> traumatized, and she's just snoring and. She had a she had a rough life. She deserved a nap, but that was a very traumatic <laughs> traumatic moment for me. And the 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 other one that really scarred me would be Fire in the Sky, which I saw I was about 8, maybe 9 years old. And there are some images in this movie of of whew, uh, them the aliens performing some terrifying experiments and it is based on a true story. And it takes place in Arizona, where I grew up. And as far as I knew, this was gonna happen to me. This, like, this might as well have been in my backyard. Mm -hmm. That's how scared I was like, this is ours. I, I learned in looking things up about this movie that it, it's like probably four, five hours from where I grew up, but I was like, nope, I'm next. I'm gonna get <laughs> zapped and I'm gonna be in a cocoon and they're gonna put the goo in my mouth. <laughs> and the, the milk and, I, it was a horrifying movie. It was relatable. I, I grew up in Wisconsin and I felt like, yeah, you don't go fuck around in the woods. Like, they'll, yeah. <laughs> they'll get you. Yeah. For the longest time I was like, I don't actually know if this was a scary movie or if it would just, was scary to me because I saw it in the theaters. As oh, a no. child. When you asked, like, should I do this movie? I was instantly brought back, like, <laughs> yeah, that was a scary movie. <laughs> yeah, I asked, the, I asked the comics that I'm, I'm staying with, and I was like, oh, no, I, I'm not the right person for this. I was like, I saw a fire in the sky. And I was like, that's why I don't watch. They're like, oh, yeah, that was scary. You should talk about that. I was like, was it scary? And I started rewatching clips, and I was like, nope, confirmed. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm curious, did this movie kind of like make a splash in Arizona or how do people feel about it? That I would have, I would have no idea. I wasn't uh, super on trend with what was going on as, a, as eight, an eight-year-old. Not up on current events. <laughs> I mean, maybe for that area, because it's like northeastern Arizona. Maybe. Maybe that area now is like kind of a a special landmark, perhaps? Maybe, because in the film, they did see a lot of, like, UFO enthusiasts coming in mm -hmm. to take photos, and, you know, those people always seem to have extraordinary amounts of money to show up. Was it? Terrifying? It's Travis oh, from the movie. Wow, he's oh, no. here, Travis. <laughs> Thank you for confirming that. Because I... Now, I was curious, what themes jumped out at you in this movie? Um, I mean, now as an adult looking back, I was like, definitely had undiagnosed OCD and depression and did not know. And uh, this movie really uh, brought it to life the way I was so terrified. Mm -hmm. So there's a theme of uh, finding out later in life your childhood fears probably, probably related to seeing this movie. Uh, maybe for anybody else in this room. Uh, for themes... Uh, aliens doing terrifying experiments on people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's the the hoax element, you know, of yeah. them like not believing. They do a series of lie detector tests. Yeah, and because originally so kind of like the conspiracy theory angle to it. Yeah. And then we get a little bit of small town racism. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of casual <laughs> racism in this movie. Uh, which actually, I was in Phoenix right before SB 1070 went into law, mm -hmm. and we shut down the federal courthouse with a direct action. And then I spent a few weeks 
organizing with No More Deaths in the desert. And I met a lot of local people that did not care for what I was doing at all. Yeah. Um, this town is, is, I looked it up, and it's about 20 minutes from a town called Sholo in Arizona. And my husband and I went camping there during the pandemic. Uh, they didn't get the pandemic there. They, um, oh, wow. Yeah, they, were, they just breezed right past them. But they have like a Trump headquarters, like a store where you can go and get all kinds of Trump memorabilia, hats, flags, whatever. Um, but we went into a store to get some supplies wearing our masks, and it really was like in a movie, like the door opens and everyone just glares at us, and we just immediately walked back out. <laughs> just like, we don't take kindly to your kind around here, that kind of like, oh, where are we? Yeah, the small town dynamics are interesting because when Travis is kidnapped by aliens, everyone assumes the rest of the people in his logging crew have murdered him. And so then you see the town kind of... <laughs> <laughs> but then you That's see the town you. like turn in and accuse them of murdering Mike. And, uh, you know, I so like I've been a union organizer for 15 years. And uh, the first half of my career, I worked in a lot of large urban areas where the CEOs are always like this, these faceless people, right, that live in New York City. Uh, but now I'm organizing in small rural areas. So it's like when we launch a campaign, it's more like, let's get Larry. <laughs> it's like, it's like the small town dynamics of it are a lot more. Not you. Not we you, love Larry. you. You're a good guy. <laughs> But like uh, watching those relationships kind of change, it got real ugly, right? There was almost a feet, uh, fight in a breakfast diner yeah. over Mike. Checks out. Yeah, checks out, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and the other theme I thought a lot about is um, because Travis, when he was abducted by aliens, there was a moment where they didn't know what was happening and they left him. And then between that male friendship between Mike and Travis, Travis finds out you left me and uh, is incredibly hurt. And it kind of like, I, I mean, I've never been to war. I don't know if this is accurate, but it did feel like the idea of n leaving no one behind mm. in war and seeing Travis like try to acclimate back into the world after like one day of therapy. Great. Uh, it did feel like a lot what we do to veterans in this country. You know, <laughs> that just might be a bit of a reach, but it just jumped out at me. <laughs> Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say, like, you just can't depend on men. You know? oh. Oh, just, I mean, <laughs> they'll just leave you when you're getting abducted by aliens. Just leave you in the woods to die. That's where I thought you were going with that. And I was like, that's really good uh, angle there. I mean, that's not wrong either, you know. <laughs> I didn't catch that when I was eight, but now it, now it checks out. Yeah, uh, and I love the ending of this movie, like the stoic friendship and the coming back together between Mike and Travis. They basically drive out to where Travis was kidnapped and then like sit silently and like nod at each other like men you know and can then, I be honest with you yeah that I don't remember how it ends because I had to walk out of the theater <laughs> because I was watching it legit with my hands over my eyes and I was so I was so scared that I remember walking out of the movie theater and having to go and like play video games in the lobby probably like rocking myself back and forth just so scared <laughs> well essentially mike or uh travis the one who's kidnapped turns to his friend mike and says hey whatever you did it's okay it's cool you left me to die, and it's cool. And then they like smile at each other, and uh, and You're then like bros for life. Yeah, bros for life. <laughs> Mike makes a joke, and he says they won't be back. I don't think they liked me. And like 
just a little tiny band-aid over all the mental trauma. Do you think if I do you think if I watch this movie as a as an adult woman that it might repair my childhood? No? I think it will. I think it will. You think it will, folks? <laughs> yes. No, he's shaking his head over there. Just like rewatching some of the scenes to kind of mm -hmm. refresh, trigger my memory. Um, I was like, I felt my heart racing watching it. I mean, there's a couple. Like visually, when they're they have him pinned to the table and they're clamping his eye open, oh, and yeah. they're, oh my god, you guys! <laughs> like, I'm I'm there. I'm there. So childhood <laughs> trauma aside, what's your favorite part? <laughs> I mean, I I don't I I wouldn't say a favorite part, but probably those images stuck mm -hmm. with me the most. And when they're they're putting the goo in his eye and the goo in his mouth. He's shuddering over there too. He's right there with me. Um, yeah, when he he wakes up in the cocoon and he can't breathe, I remember that was very scary to me because I had bad childhood asthma. I was like, oh, I'm shit. not gonna be able to breathe in space. It's just like <laughs> losing my mind. Um, I and then laugh. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> <Your> asthma. <laughs> then the image of him uh, naked when he's like he's just like in a ball and he I think calls from a, a payphone. Mm -hmm. He's just like naked, dehydrated, hallucinating, and they're like, "That's not Travis. Is that mm -hmm. him? Is that somebody making, making a prank call?" Yeah, I mean, that this is burned in my memory as well. Yeah. Also, I didn't realize loggers were so hot. <laughs> they're, all, they're all hot. <laughs> well, sorry. Thank you so much for reliving your childhood trauma and thank coming you. on what to talk honor. about fire in the sky. Clap thank it up you. For thank you. All right, next up, we have one of my favorite people in the world. The reason we're all here, lose your fucking minds right now, for JT Habersack! Hi, friends. <laughs> Casper. <laughs> it's dealer's choice. I mean, awesome. not dealer's choice, the opposite yeah. of that. Well, quick, quick, real quick on aliens, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. So my dad, he, well, he's abducted. I don't know where he went. He's gone. But we, uh, oh, no. When I was, we grew up in upstate New York, and we actually worked on the house from Communion. Oh, shit. Where uh, the yeah, guy was abducted. Whitley Streber, I think his name was. Wait, you worked on the house? Yeah, my dad did construction, and we actually oh. worked on that house. Wow. And so I walked around the woods looking for alien trails. <laughs> and or Christopher Walken and found neither. But it was kind of neat. <laughs> I like that you dove in went looking for it. Yeah, well, we've met. Yeah. <laughs> It's you took true. me to a clown museum in the snow. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> There's a reason we're friends. <laughs> it was closed. I'm sorry about I that. I know it was closed. I've never back. forgiven you. I know. I'm sorry. Kristen banged on the door. There was a, a janitor inside, and you were like, let us in the clown museum. And she's like, fucking I nah. need this. Nope. <laughs> Hard no. I also introduced you to Culver's. Which, uh, oh, my God, yes. And I thank you, and I regret that every day. <laughs> <laughs> made of cheese curds. Uh, all right, so for us to chat about, JT has chosen Pearl, which I realize is a newer movie. So if you haven't seen it and you. Pearl you know, slash X. And yeah. X as Has well. Have seen X? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. So we'll yeah. do both those. Yeah. Hell yeah, okay. Excellent. All right, so JT, why did you choose X and Pearl? Um, well, I, Ty West, I think, is one of the best horror directors right I love now. Him. Um, a lot of people have seen his earlier stuff. I, I didn't know about him until I saw House of the Devil, 
which I just made uh, my buddy Bobby Wilcox from California. I made him watch that when we were both very, very altered uh, in California a few weeks ago, and it holds up super creepy. And so yeah. I like Ty West's style very much, but I didn't have huge expectations because they marketed X kind of like a just any sort of basic horror film that comes out now. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a, a cast of unknowns. It's like it'll be fun, but I wasn't expecting much. But he really gave each of these characters, they're all, you know, stock, stock character actors, and but they felt three-dimensional. They felt really well-written and good. And uh, I don't want to ruin the twist for anybody about the murderers and such, but, like, it, it was an unexpected plot also. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, like, upon my first viewing of X, I actually didn't like it. because really? I, th I didn't. I thought he was wow. using old bodies as, like, a scare mechanism and I plan on being very sexually active as an elderly person, so it's like, no. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so spoiler. I mean, the, the old people in this are the murdering crazies. Uh, <laughs> now you just put a whole avalanche of images in my head that I was not yeah. expecting. <laughs> Actually, after watching X, I turned to my boyfriend and was like, you better have sex with me when I'm older. We're going to get real weird. <laughs> <laughs> going to get <laughs> two union organizers, I can only imagine. <laughs> Next week on Dick Strike. Mm. <laughs> New podcast idea. Don't cross the line. <laughs> okay, so I rewatched X. Yeah. In uh, preparation for Pearl. I did as well, yeah. Yeah, and I really actually loved it. I saw you loved it. You went from I not did. liking it to loving it. I did, because I saw the switch in the idea that, you know, we baby elderly people, uh, but they very much, you know, have Reasonable their own rates. agency. They can get out there. They can murder, like, the best of them. <laughs> well, the kills were great. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the first kill is so shocking. Uh, this elderly woman just starts stabbing this dude in the neck because <laughs> he basically sexually rejects her yeah. and she can't handle it. And uh, <laughs> I'm not old yet. I mean, I'm middle-aged. But, you know. um, but the characters were so good. It was like, all right, there's, you know, there's the black porn star guy and I'm like, oh, he's going to be a cliche, like some black dynamite character. But he wasn't. He was like a Vietnam vet. He was like, really well-written. Uh, and the porn director is like, oh, he's going to be central casting like Boogie Nights sleazeball. But he was he was kind of like this poor man's McConaughey mm -hmm. that had interesting range and chops. And the lead, I mean, well, the lead is, uh, I think she co-wrote that as well. She co-wrote Pearl, but is it um, uh, Mia Goth? Yeah. Is that her name? Mia Goth, yeah. Fucking rad name. Yeah, she is And amazing. she's a force of nature. She's incredible in this film. Just I really loved her. Amazing. Um, so I thought the characters were all really, I was invested in each of the characters. And um, there's a lot of homage stuff going on, too. There's definitely some Texas Chainsaw Massacre van shots. Definitely. Um, and what's so weird is it, it's supposed to be in Texas in, like, was it, like, the late 70s, I think? Like, 78? Mm -hmm. the, the film was shot in, like, Holland or somewhere? Really? New weird. Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. But it looks like fucking Texas. I don't know how they managed to do that. Yeah, and actually, it's because of the lockdown that we have Pearl as well, because they were like, well, oh. we're here, we might as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't have as much respect for him then, because I thought that was <laughs> like an intentional, <laughs> brilliant choice to make the sequel. Well, that's ballsy. Um, and just some really brilliant shots. I mean, there's a... Uh, again, who's seen it? Is there, I don't want to... Okay, so I don't know if you've seen it. There's a scene where Mia Goth, who's kind of the lead star, porn star... Um, there's a group of 70s sleazebags going to make a porn, the farmer's daughter's porn star at this rented yeah. farm ranch 
in uh, Elgin, Texas. And, <laughs> and um, creepy things afoot. But there's this amazing scene of her. She goes skinny dipping in the lake. Mm-hmm. And there's a fucking alligator in the lake. And this overhead shot of her swimming just like very angelically. And you see the gator just, it's silent. And you see the gator slowly from overhead like drone shot coming at her, and it's perfect tension. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. Yeah, we don't get a release for that until Pearl, the movie. Until Pearl. <laughs> we don't get to see alligators fuck people up till the second movie. Well, that's not true. I oh. never liked blondes. Oh, you're right, you're right. You're absolutely right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And that character also, there's a blonde gal who's Bobby like the blonde. Lynn. The, yeah, like this is a Ginger Lynn like homage, like the blonde mm-hmm. bombshell. And uh, But she's really sweet to the old lady. She sees the old lady there. Oh, yeah. on the dock and she's like ma'am you need help or whatever and she's like whatever bitch and like slaps her and feeds her to an alligator and I was like oh shit yeah. this lady's gnarly which actually that did jump out at me too like that idea you got a baby the elderly like nah they'll push you in front of an alligator <laughs> although I would argue if you're weak enough to get pushed by an elderly woman into an alligator pit you kind of deserve you that deserve it <laughs> fight your way back <laughs> your will to live ain't great Mm -hmm. No. If Estelle Getty is throwing you to the gators. Yeah, so I absolutely love Pearl. Pearl is the story. So who's seen Pearl? That was the sequel. All right, so the Pearl is the the prequel, actually, to X. Okay, yeah. Words are hard. Yeah, they are. Uh, But, like, Pearl is just so obsessed with becoming this famous dancer. You know, she's like this self-obsessed monster that will hurt anyone that gets in the way of her dreams. And I'm just, like, really thankful we don't have to deal with anyone like that in comedy. No, I mean, as a comedian, um, as a gatekeeper, Kristen, um, there's nothing I enjoy more than telling someone no. (laughs) (laughs) Much like last night when a half a dozen strangers I've never met before showed up at the door uh, for Henry Phillips and said, hi, we're comedians, can we get in for free? To which I said no. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm a chef, can I eat here for free? Oh, I might try mm, that one in the future. No. Still no. <laughs> so I'm curious, what themes jumped out at you in Pearl besides like this oh, well, obsession? I mean, the the hyper stylistic aspect of the Wizard of Oz stuff was over the top and yeah. obvious, but amazing. Like the the color scheme was just it felt like a film from the 40s. Yeah. Um, and knowing that it was this character from X as a younger woman, like you know, it's very Pulp Fiction, right? So because you know mm-hmm. the the timeline has jumped, so you know what she becomes, so you know she survives through all of it. But there's a lot of red herrings in it, too, I thought were pretty interesting. Because in, in X, her husband, you know, he's been in the military, because I mentioned that a few times. And in the beginning of Pearl, he's away at war. Say her husband's away at war. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple scenes during this where she has, like, a, a, a love affair interest with this projectionist. And he's just called the projectionist. Yeah. He doesn't have a name, which felt very Blue Velvet David Lynchy to me, which I liked. Um, but he mentions, oh, I was in the service in Europe or whatever. And I was like... I wonder if her husband who's in the war is really the husband in the next movie or if she's just going to, he's going to die or something. It's actually this projectionist and that's how they met. I thought it was like an origin story. So that was, I didn't know which way they were going with it. Um, But I mean, the mother dynamic with uh, Pearl was really creepy because his mother's like an overburning German lady. 
Mm-hmm. You do not feel joy. Yeah, you do You're not, not feel allowed joy. to feel joy in this yeah. house. Scrub the apples harder. Like, <laughs> 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 let her have no plant. And um, and the, the father is like catatonic. Yeah. Because uh, of like the uh, the flu or whatever. So it was also felt very current in that way, mm-hmm. pandemic y wise. And that scene where like she's taking a bath with dad. Well, Dad's just up there. She just bathed Dad, and she didn't want to waste the hot water, so she just hops in there as like this twenty-five-year-old, and the mom comes in. She's like, "What's up?" And Dad's just like, "I don't know either." I don't like it either. It's not very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought the tension was really good. It was a lot of tension in this movie. Uh, I do think my favorite part was the scarecrow scene. That was wild. Yeah, that was fun. That was wild. Uh, uh, these people can't handle it. So the scarecrow yeah. scene. <laughs> I mean, that's straight Wizard of Oz shit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she sees a, She basically runs into a cornfield and sees a scarecrow and just starts dancing with it like a Fred Astaire scene. And, and then more. And then humps the shit out of it. And then screams, I'm married! <laughs> There's a whole lot of repression going on there. You know how those scarecrows are always trying to break up your marriage. <laughs> Who's a cuck crow? <laughs> Who's a flare crow? I am very curious to see the next movie because... Oh, I can't wait. You know, is it Maxine? Yeah, Maxine. Three X's. Um, it's going to be all about her journey into being a star of adult films. But also, I hope we learn a little bit more about Pearl's husband because he's a real ride or die. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know if you will because like, I, I'm assuming it's, it takes place after the end of X, right? Because mm-hmm. it's... I love the... Did you see the, the, the teaser, I'm assuming, for Maxine? Yes. It's so 80s and washed out. And it's, yeah. it looks like a Miami Vice episode, so yeah. it's going to be really fun. Very VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, but the end of Pearl, like there's a scene where she's just trying to keep it together because her husband shows up and she's smiling. And that is like fucking bonkers. Like that it's is like the dinner party from hell. It is like the, it is legitimately reminded me of the end of Psycho. Oh, yeah. Where he's just like, I wouldn't hurt a fly or whatever. Like she's just, and it's a, such a long extended shot where she's just going ape shit. And yeah, I don't know. It was perfect. Perfect ending. Mm-hmm. Way mm-hmm. to stick the landing. What's your favorite part of Pearl? Um, definitely that part I thought was really, really good. And um, I... Uh, this is bad, but... Uh, <laughs> Say it. <laughs> I, I, she fucking uh, kills a goose. Not that I like that part, but she just out of nowhere stabs a goose, which is kind of her first reveal of like being... Not well. Not well. <laughs> And I was like, well, that's gnarly. And then they just show her carrying the fucking dead goose by the neck. And she just kind of lobs it to the alligator as a nice little callback. I was like, that was fucking gnarly. Yeah. So anyway. I did I did feel a lot of relatable to Pearl. Like Uh-oh. growing up in the woods, just always alone. I was like, wow. You're, you're making ooh. me nervous. I shouldn't root for Pearl so much, but I felt it in my heart, you know? <laughs> well, you're a star to me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to end this podcast with a dance number. You all have to stay. Uh, any final thoughts on Pearl or X? Um, like you, I'm really excited to see Maxine now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the interesting thing, too, though, I think the, the two, style aside, they're two very different movies. You know, like yeah. obviously made by the same director, and you can feel that. But he, he had two totally different, like, visions for each one, and I thought both really worked. Like, you know, X feels like a 70s uh, kind of grindhouse film, and uh, Pearl definitely feels like a 
uh, you know, Hollywood classic cinema, all the things that go with that Fred Astaire type film. So yeah, I don't know. I liked them both, but um, oh yeah, I know what's my favorite part. My favorite part is when the black guy says, hey, Pops, you need help? And he's silhouetted, and you just see his giant dong hanging down. <laughs> that was the best. That was a great fucking scene. Yeah, you don't get a lot of male full frontal nudity. And it was you know? shadowy. Yeah. It was yeah. like, just, it wasn't like, because they skirted by an X rating by just having Shadow Dong. <laughs> Shadow Dong. That'd be a great band name. Dong. I like Shadow it. Dong, I bet it's taken. It and is, I bet probably. they play here next weekend. Well, I always love talking about horror movies with you. Thank you for doing no, the podcast. you're the best person. Thank you. Uh, keep it going for Caitlin, Matt, and sorry, JT. I've been Kristen Lighty. Have a good night. Mishka Shubali is coming up real soon. There's a tip jar for performers over there. Thanks, guys. Riverboat Gamblers after them, so hang out. Hey, 